how sexual or how violent a video is, it should be still real emotions, even if it's like the softest one ever or the most hardcore one ever. Because there is like something about like realness that is kind of, uh, yeah, that fascinates me that I'm interested in. That is always what gets me interested when I watch art or like anything. It's like, can I, is it real emotions in a way? Welcome everyone. Welcome to my podcast, Sex and Art. In this podcast, I'll combine my passion for art and sex with my passion for very interesting people. In every episode, you'll be allowed a peek into their world and we'll find out how they connect to art and sex. I'm your host, Zir Berlin, and now... Let's find out who's our guest today. Hey Andy, welcome to this podcast. I'm super delighted to meet with you. Hey, I'm happy to be here. In the beginning of every podcast, I would like to mention that with this podcast, I want to shine a light on fears, pain and shames around the topic sex and art. Listening to the stories and experience of others sometimes helps to feel good, to feel better about oneself. And I also want to create a safe space. That means for me, you can always say no to every question I ask. This is just for opening a safe room. And I think actually this is what you do in your work as well, right? Yeah, I think so too. So that's good. Then let's start. I would like to introduce you a little bit um, to the few who don't know you. I met you in Engsbeka in Sweden on a Tantra festival. And actually I met your girlfriend then and you were just sitting there on the staircase of the cafe as well. But later on, I found out that you're doing bondage workshops, not just in Engsbeka, but I don't know, all around Europe, all around the world. Mostly all around Scandinavia, because I don't like to travel so much. Mm, okay. I read on your homepage that you're actually a well-studied man, theater pedagogy and medical massage therapy. You also worked as an organizational coach. That's interesting because there we have something in common. And you're a teacher of European and Japanese rope bonded. And you live in Stockholm. That's right. Is there something you would like to add to this description? What do you think our listeners should know about you? I mean, I think what I usually tell people is that I have quite a long background in BDSM since I was a child, more or less, or like young teenager. And that I kind of operate in the borderland between BDSM and Tantra or BDSM and Neo-Tantra and this self-development scene. So usually I say that I teach um, I teach Tantric techniques to BDSM people and I teach BDSM techniques to Tantra people in a way. So, so that is kind of where I operate. And also that I work both with like individual sessions one-on-one -on -one, and I do workshop and retreats and I also create like bigger events. Um, so I think it's interesting to work on all these like three levels of abstraction in a way. Wherever I see bondage, I see your face and uh, it seems like that um, the scene knows you quite well and that we today want to talk a little bit more about your artistic side and not just the yeah. things everybody else knows already about you. What is your artistic expression? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes back to the question, what is art in a way? Um, and I think, I mean, I think that I've been thinking about this a lot, probably because I have not spent as much time as being an artist as I have being an instructor or learning rope bondage. So mm -hmm. like venturing into art or an, like an artistic expression is much newer for me. So, I mean, from my perspective, what it is, is that it is like the being allowed to explore something that I do not already know. Like if I do a therapeutic sessions, then like I assume that I do something that I'm really good at. And if I do a workshop, I want to teach something then I also should be quite good at what I do. But for me, the, the art is more like an invitation to explore something where I'm not good or something where I'm, where I'm not very secure, where I don't know where it's going. 
um, and also being allowed to spend a lot of time on it. Um, because if I do something that is more like productive, then I try to like optimize my time maybe and like perform in a time efficient manner. And I think when I allow myself to more work like in an artistic way, there is like the outcome is not so interesting. It's like the act in itself that is doing it. How do you do that, that you, you know, can let go more in the artistic space? Because I think this is what many artists struggle with, actually, to, to not be so focused on an outcome. Mm, I mean, I promise less, I think, is my goal. So, I mean, not make so much commitments um, and not try to make a living out of it. I mean, I think one thing that I really enjoy like about the art world, because I mean, I think if you look at society today, it's almost about over promising and under committing. So it's always like if you see it like the hamburger on the picture, it never looks like that when you get it in the hand and every like coffee shop says to have the best coffee in the world and everyone knows that it's not possible. So the world is in general kind of over committing and under delivering and we were used to this. Um, so, I mean, I think what I like to focus on us when it comes to art in a way is to kind of under commit and over deliver. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still questioning the, the over delivery because I think um, for me, art is being original. It's like, so the art you produce is allowing me to discover more of you and by that probably discover a little bit more of me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that, that I think it should be like a reflection of who you are in a way or what you're curious about. Um, I remember this from studying theater that my theater teachers had told me that um, like a director that only is expressing their own kind of sorrows and sadness and happiness. I think that people get bored of them, but you can't take something that is like a global statement either because then it gets too generic. So you need to kind of find this balance between your own personal, like looking into your navel and like introverting, introverting with some kind of external, bigger global message. Yeah, my um, singing and guitar teacher uh, always told me that one needs to have worked through one's own issue to be kind of over the feeling when you present it on stage. So there is enough space for the viewer to feel their own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this also like reflecting a lot when I teach workshops, because I remember when I started to teach, like I was very important. Like it was important for me to be seen as a good teacher and to do a good job and to perform well. And then that changed and it became important for me that the subject was important. It, it was like, okay, they should know this not, they should succeed in this like suspension or this tie. Like they really shouldn't have this information that I have in a way. But then like even later it's turned even more to like, it's more about the experience of the person coming to like a workshop. And actually I don't really care what they think about me. And I actually don't really care about what they learn either. It's more like what was their experience in there? I guess it's similar when you develop as an artist as well. If you, if you mean it in that way that you, the less you care about what someone else thinks about your art, I, I agree mm. that uh, this is a good fuel for your own work. It's also the most difficult challenge I find because mm. when you do art, you one on the path to your self kind of, you know, exploring what's going on inside of you, you know, that's my perception of art. Um, but you also want to be seen in your original. You mm. want to be seen in your art, or at least that's how it is for me. And and there it gets difficult, you know. If nobody wants to see it, it's pretty hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, totally. And I mean, I think it's like, I think it connects back to one of the things that I do that I consider to be artistic, is that create these spaces where people can be seen in a way um, and where they can show themselves. Um, yeah. And in a way, like, I mean, I think it becomes interesting if I can get people to be kind of vulnerable and personal and present in a way. So it's like more about that um, than like actually displaying a certain skill. I've been thinking a lot about this when I was studying theater and it's like, it's like, what is it that we show in a way when we like invite an audience to see something? Is it that we're showing them like 
like some circus acrobatics, how good we are at moving around on stage or how good I am at tying rope bondage. Or am I showing them more like, um, like I'm telling them a story. So like, okay, this is the story and they should learn something from this story. Or am I like making like a political message or am I showing them myself? And I think that is maybe what I find is most interesting when people get to show themselves. Absolutely. And this is what I found on your homepages or, or internet representations. For one, the videos you have on your homepage, I find them very aesthetic. Uh, some of them are like reports. So if you're interested in Andy's work, go to his homepage. It's andyburo.se, right? Yeah. And, and we, of course, a link to that in the description. Um, very aesthetic uh, scenes of both, like how you do therapy with bondage, but also like, I don't know, like as an art piece, I, I nearly was um, ready to take my pencil out and draw it. Really beautiful mm. um, photograph, these videos. And also I read somewhere that you think in bondage there is some storytelling involved or very important. I mean, I think that uh, the, the one person who sees it is very important because it's almost like the witness. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I actually need to answer this question in two different ways, depending on what you mean. I mean, and I think, but I think both could be interesting to like go into. Like one part of it is like, um, I think the witness is very important. Who is like witnessing and seeing this um, that goes on and they are kind of giving it value and by giving their attention to it. And I think this is like super important in a way when we live in a society that is kind of where attention is very limited because it's like time is limited. So like what you pay your attention to is like what you, you give it power and in a way. And it's almost like this old like saying like like if a, if a tree fall in the woods and no one hear it, did it fall then? So I think that is something that I think is important in bondage. And then I think it's also interesting the story you tell within the bondage together um, with the person, because I think for me, it almost always connects back to some kind of fantasy. Um, and it's all, and it's always like a fantasy outside the real world. Like if I tie someone up and I spank them, it's not that because I, I want to hurt them in the real world. It's that it's part of our fantasy or the role play or the story that we are telling. But it's very much that we are telling the story for ourselves more than for like an external person. Um, so that's why I kind of prefer to call these people outside like the witness rather than the audience, because they're more like witnessing, witnessing it for the sake of the people doing the bondage or it doesn't matter like in whatever. Some people had this huge argument at Engsback many years ago because they have someone called open stage there. And there's the question, like, who should go on open stage? Should it be the people that are like the most amazing singers and guitar players and they should go then they should display their skill? Or should it be the people that are like so scared and never been in front of an audience every any time? I tried once playing a song I wrote myself there with really bad guitar playing. It was so horrible. <laughs> Nobody was listening. Everybody was really rude, making noises. And I was so scared and totally upset afterwards. Yes, I mean, I think it's really like, it's like um, giving space to witnessing people in their vulnerability in a way. I mean, I think it's yeah. a beautiful thing to do. And I mean, the open stage, I think, could be that. Um, other times it's someone just <laughs> displaying their grandeur. And if they're good enough, people will listen. And if they're not good enough, people will drink coffee and talk instead. Yeah. But there you say something. It, it always needs kind of a, a space which is opened for uh, witnessing it, for, for watching yeah. it. And um, it also reminds me on this uh, quote from the artist. I forgot. <laughs> I always forget names. <laughs> But it's a very important quote. It says that the the art is actually completed by the viewer. And I really enjoy that. So when I do painting, I love to hear what people think about it. Usually everybody asks, oh, what did you think? But I want to hear what it does to people. I find this a lot more interesting. Yeah, I mean, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think it also comes back to this with attention in a way that it's such a rare kind of commodity nowadays that we don't have endless amount of attention. So I think it also has to be in the invitation to like, do I go to the cafe at Engsbacke and watch open stage because I want to give my attention to the person on the stage or do I go there because I want to talk about my day in a way and have a cup of coffee. Um, 
and then listen to some background music. So I think it's like being clear in like these spaces and, and like how to create these spaces when it comes to attention and what is important. I think that is what I'm curious to explore as an art. Really nice. Um, I was thinking, um, because you mentioned to me in, in the talk we had before that you just turned 40. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's just my what I, what I thought um, that you have worked with people, kind of for people. It's also your uh, passion to do that, but also that you're now curious a little bit more about yourself, about your artistic side and what's what's more there in the world. Yeah, I mean, I think so in a way. I think I'm, I care less about what other people think. And that gives me more expression, more like space to do what I really want. One doesn't really imagine that a person who does bondage as a bondage teacher thinks so much about what other people think about them. <laughs> I mean, you, you see all the different forms of bondage and how much I censor myself, for example, on my web page. Mm, okay. I mean, for example, there is there is two different communities that uh, there's several different communities that I'm a part of, like online. First, I have my home page. And of course, there is no visible kind of breasts and or genitals. Um, There's one video with breast. I saw it. There is. There's one video. It's very aesthetic. It's a beautiful woman with beautiful breasts. Um, oh. I guess she's blonde. It's a black and white video. What can I tell you? It is on your homepage. That's all okay. I can say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I enjoy it. But I, mean, but I mean, for example, like what I put on the like the fetish and BDSM communities, it's much more rougher and it has sometimes more violence and more sex in it. Um, so, I mean, I think that how I just show up in different places is very well thought through in a way. And that's why everyone at Ingsbacka knows about me there because I have been like accepted in that community. Mm -hmm, when okay. I came there in the beginning, people were super scared. So I really need to like find a way to kind of navigate how I show up because people have such different vocabularies and such different like frame of reference. Mm -hmm. So even if you're a bonded teacher, I think you have to be super careful on like how you thread around in the world in a way. So I think what this has helped me is more like saying, like, okay, the people that I'm not interested in, in reaching, just ignore them in a way. But if there are people that I'm are interested in reaching, then trying to communicate in a way that fits them is something that I spend, I think I spend a lot of time doing it. And also like curating homepages and videos and stuff like that. But I think what is important to me is that it's real emotions, because I think that is, it doesn't matter like, how sexual or how violent a video is, it should be still real emotions, even if it's like the softest one ever or the most hardcore one ever, because there is like something about like realness that is kind of, uh, yeah, that fascinates me that I'm interested in. That is always what gets me interested when I watch art or like anything. It's like, can I, is it real emotions in a way? Absolutely. And we spot this pretty quickly if it's just a show someone is giving. So as, or, you know, we're just drawn to originals. And, mm. and I also think it's a it's the best way of living because it takes a lot of energy to hide who you really are or hide yeah. just certain aspects. Yeah, I mean, I think that's me. I think it's, it's seven years ago since I quit my coaching work. And that was very much because I was doing both that and teaching bondage in parallel. And that was very much too to not have to maintain like two different personalities in a way. Yeah, you mean in the in the corporate world, the coaching or? Yeah, yeah I mean, so when I was working in like a telco company and I had like my full time or full time big company time, which is like 60 hours a week, that's then I needed to maintain like two different personalities, like the corporate me and the bondage professional artist or the worker me. Yeah. And that was just too much energy. So that's why a big reason why I decided to leave the corporate world. And that's what the, the corporate world actually is working on, struggling with, to allow exactly that originality, which allows people to give their full energy to the project um, because they don't need to hide. You know, you're not the only person in the, in the project, I guess. I think if that would be normal, that would make it easier. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, it's. I think you think more about it than me, um, because me is more like, okay, I gave up this corporate world and I left it behind, and I know that you're still 
existing in it. On some ways, yeah. When people want to listen and want to, you know, transform to this kind of originality, self-organization, if one wants. But I just hmm. don't want to talk about that here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Because this is the sex and art section. <laughs> <laughs> which fills me with joy all the time. Um, I ask you what your artistic expression is. And so what I spotted is really like you have a, you have a feeling for aesthetic, um, just me judging by the videos and the homepage of your upcoming event, Salongen, mm. which means yeah. kind of the parlor in English, right? Yeah, maybe. I don't really know how to translated like social club color do you want to um tell our listeners a little bit about salongen yeah i can it's in the most concrete way it's that me and two friends want to create like a new club in sweden for bdsm people and artist people to meet in a way to create this meeting space But that is more like the output or the artifact out of it. What it is in like on a deeper level for me, it's to understand what is like a play party. What is it that I want to offer people? What kind of spaces is that I want to create? To create? Because what I have been thinking about is that like if I do a private session with someone, then it's me as a person in connection with that person that creates the space. I'm very much mm -hmm. like the curator and if i do a workshop with maybe 10 or 20 people i will empathically be able to track everyone in the room if i do a workshop with maybe 100 people or 50 people or 200 people i can no i have no chance of knowing what people are feeling in that room so i kind of have to work on building culture and environment and like the story the narrative of the space that they enter into that becomes much more important than what i actually how well I read people and how well I like calibrate according to the space. So I'm curious in how to create these spaces where I can't be like empathically in contact with everyone or control everyone in the space. And then, so this I've been thinking so much about, and then I'm like collaborating with two people that I think should remain anonymous for now, but one is a famous theater director and one is like a teacher of performing arts when it comes to participatory engagement in a way and to get working together with them me coming from this maybe like sex positive bdsm tantra background and they coming from like the traditional theater and this performing uh, participatory role-playing backgrounds like like trying to like what is this kind of space that we are creating or that we are inviting to and who are we inviting there and this is like the the underlaying discussion And then the, the output of this will be the salon or the parlor. Mm, okay. So I really like that you said um, you basically need to create a culture. Um, mm. So that feels like it's more you want to bring all of you, all your ideas and ideology in your, in your event. Do you want to actually create the perfect event you always wanted to go to? I mean, I thought so. I mean, I've done two different tries on this before, maybe one three years ago, maybe one maybe five years ago. And when I learn when it gets bigger, I can't attend myself because I'm all too busy in like organizing and holding the space. Yeah. So it's more about creating like um, new ideas or prototyping new ideas for interaction that then hopefully other people will bring into their events that I then later can go to. For example, like um, I, I started to have always like live drawers at my events, and this is maybe like five years ago. Um, and then like people, are like, oh, this is amazing, blah, blah, blah. And then like maybe a year later, you see them start to pop up in every like event uh, in Scandinavia or like in Sweden eventually. Um, so I think in like, and another thing it's, like starting to introduce having live music instead of recorded music and it's like kind of like putting these new things in there like we had an event where you're not, well, not allowed to speak and it's almost like these new ideas they're probably not super new but they're new to the like the to the community that i'm in and then like trying to put them in there and see like how how does this shape the event in a way and then hopefully other people pick this up and they will do their own events that i can go to if you have created this event and um 
it's over and you imagine you would be super happy with it. What would be your takeaway? Um, I mean, it's different. This time we want to do the event like 12 times in a row, like once every month. Mm -hmm. um, just to see how it evolves and to build like a group that share a culture. So, so um, everyone goes to all 12 parties? Hopefully, if I'm lucky, but I don't think so in reality. <laughs> but maybe there's a hardcore of people who always come. That's the Yeah, idea. that would be amazing. And you want this to have an evolution in the e event? Yeah, I mean, I think it will evolve in many different ways. One way is how this group of people get to know and trust each other, but also like an evolution in how the space kind of works because the venue that we are looking at is like a black box theater mm -hmm. of like a couple of hundred square meters um, with like performance area. And then it has another couple of hundred. So it's like a huge theater in like a black box style. Can you explain for people who don't know what a black box yeah. theater is, what that is? Yeah, I mean, a black box theater is pretty much where you just have black walls, black ceiling, black roofs, everything is black. And then you kind of populate it yourself with what you want to have inside of it. Um, it's like the opposite would be to have like this traditional opera-like theater that has this kind of dedicated place where people are sitting and it is this like fixed, like nice seats and like maybe gold and velvet and red and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so in that place, kind of the um, the theater itself is telling a lot, a big, a lot, big part of the story by just being in this room. But in the black box theater, there is like no story like being implied by the room in a way. Yeah, one can create own rules for a new space, which is more open. Yeah, but then it has like usually what you need. So it has like it, yeah, you can raise the floor and you can change some walls around, and there is like lighting and smoke effects and sound effects and stuff like that so you can it has all you need to kind of to build your kind of narrative inside this black box from the from the pictures i saw uh, on the homepage, maybe they're misleading it sounded mm. or it looked like that it will be um with really cool costumes and uh, fantastic atmosphere kind of I mean, I want it to be like an extraordinary experience that I think is so central to it. Um, but I usually think about there is this interesting like juxtaposition or this um, relationship between celebration and meditation, mm -hmm. because I actually wanted to be like both at the same time. I wanted both in a way to be a celebration because you go there because you want to celebrate something. And since sexuality is in the center here, so it's like a celebration of sexuality. And then maybe you want to dress up because you're going to a party in a way and you want to really show yourself and you want to be allowed to be like flamboyant and like extravagant. You want to be able to like bring out the most of your personality when you go there. Um, and I think doing it in how you look and how you act and behave and how you move is like a good way of doing that. But then I still want at the same time, it should also be like a meditation where you kind of just is, are accepting what is and kind of are studying the present in a way. Um, so in that way, it's also like very slow, maybe, or like at least very like conscious, like you, you want people to be conscious where they put their attention and how they behave and like what's going on with inside themselves. But it's kind of juxtaposition between this celebration that's like very high energy and this meditation that's very kind of low energy and like how they should relate. Do you think it's more like you want to do it like in phases, like in different time slots? Uh, these different mm. um, energies or in different places? No, not, e not even that. I mean, I remember uh, someone, it's a guy who has a YouTube lecture, a guy called John Verweke that I really like. Um, it's about meaning, what is meaningful. And he talks about um, what enlightenment is according to Buddhism. And then the Buddhists, I don't remember which kind of Buddhist, but one kind of Buddhist, they were studying two types of meditation. One meditation was when you were going in and like the, focusing on smaller and smaller details, like how is this uh, hair on my lip feeling when I breathe in and out? And how is the tip of that feeling? And you get more and more focus on a tiny, tiny detail. And then the other way is meditating outwards and being like aware of your relationship and how you are one with everything around you. So like you mm. are one with the planet and the universe and everything is one. That's my kind of meditation. Yeah, and he said, like, to be able to reach enlightenment, you should do both these meditations, and you should switch between them. 
So first you should be at the at the hair, and then you should be at being one with the universe. And then you should switch, and maybe you do one hour meditation on one, and one, one hour meditation on the other. But when you get better at this, then you learn to switch faster until you switch so fast, so you're doing both at the same time. Mm. And that was, according to him, enlightenment. That sounds very interesting. I have no clue how you're going to create that. No, I don't know. We will see. I think, I mean, for me, one one way to do it is like, I think celebration has a lot to do with preparation as well. Um, like that you dress up, that you know what you have, like a good, you have an idea, you have also you have like, like built up energy for this event long ahead of time. You're looking forward to going there, like you go to a party. But then when you actually enter into the space, then you drop all that. Because in a way, by doing that preparation ahead of time, I think it's very much part of your subconscious already. Uh, and it will like act out and you will be dressed in a certain way, you will be in a certain way. So I think that's kind of the way to having a space that is very focused on being present and listening and you know, being attentive in a way. It sounds so nice and it's really nice to see how energetic you get when you talk about this project. Seems to be very dear to you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the rope bondage, I've been doing this for tw not 20 or 15 years, maybe. And I've been doing the sessions and teaching it for 10 years or something like that. So it's like my almost like my everyday work in a way. And this is kind of a, a cherry on top of all your experiences where you combine all the things, even with something new. Yeah, so that's why it like really has a lot, a lot of energy for me to do this. I didn't really finish in um, telling you what kind of art I see in you. Oh, yeah. You know, the aesthetic eye video, um, a storyteller. Um, and um, I also think uh, some people see bondage as type of art. Mm. Do you see bondage as type of art? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could be. It, also, it really goes back to what, you, what it means for mm -hmm. something to be art in a way. Yeah. Um, I get a bit allergic when people say that, when people talk about Japanese rope art, that it was something that the samurais have been practicing for a thousand of years, because that is simply not true. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so I think people like to put the word art on things to kind of give it a nicer face in a way, they legitimize it in a way. I think that's a bit sad. Um, for me, rope bondage can be everything from like very therapeutic to very artistically beautiful to very like dirty uh, and like, yeah, yeah, dirty in a way and nasty. Um, but also it's like, I think also since rope bondage is so close to my heart and to my practice, it's easy that I can express everything of myself in this. Like I can make rope bondage this artistic, I can make rope bondage this therapeutic and make it that is like, sexy and dirty in a way um so maybe i don't have such a good perspective on it because it's like everything for me mm. that that sounds also really nice i feel um i'm not an expert at all i have actually no clue about bondage but i see in life drawing classes online so many bondage topics coming up there's someone like you maybe or someone who does uh, bondage and is tying up someone and people are super thrilled to draw that and mm. they say sometimes they're so excited by what's happening that they forget to draw yeah totally i mean i think that is it's interesting visually in a way and also because it is if it is like you're showing like real emotions and does something that is like emotional intensive then that of course becomes interesting to capture yeah then i think there's a whole other side of it because i have um quite many friends that does this okay i know a lot of friends that does like a lot of croquis and they think this is interesting because the body doesn't follow the same rules as when someone is posing like weight is getting distributed in other ways and, and it's also a question like someone they people were used to draw croquis they usually draw like the body first but then they don't draw the ropes and the ropes are really like shaping the body so like this relationship becomes I think interesting for people have done a lot of croquis. Um, yes, because it's like it's a completely different challenge to like approach. Yeah, yeah. I think it depends really um, whether one comes from the classical um, croquis or life drawing um, experience. That's totally different. Uh, but there are many crazy sessions out there which also focus on movement. Some um, some sessions are just where people move slowly. Mm -hmm. 
and then um, they get drawn in that. Really interesting stuff. So I think um, I would volunteer for the events to draw. My partner, mm. who is an artist too, I said, mm -hmm, I don't mind to go there too. <laughs> so besides you as a bondage person, I don't know, shall I say t trainer or teacher or bondage knowledge I mean, person? I, I, yeah, I mean, bondage person. I, I think I like it because it's like unpretentious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sometimes I assign my emails with Andy, the bondage guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you had drawers at some events. I was curious, the event you're planning or already creating, the series of Salongen, um, mm. it's bondage, which is one art form. It's um, mm. dressing up and going to a kink event. It's um, artists there drawing it. What mm. kind of arts are there as well? I mean, I think the arts that I'm most interested in is the art that creates meetings between people um, mm -hmm. in concrete ways. And also maybe art where you are um, exploring different sides or personas of yourself. But mm. to kind of be more clear, what I'm interested in is like tango dancers would be obvious for me, contact impro people also. Mm -hmm. Maybe or also acting people if you come more from like an improvisational method acting kind of school. Um, I would love to have people that make sound either as musician or vocalists that could meet someone or like create to or like add to the space by with the, the sound they make or the vocals they make. Um, I think this, I also think like, it's also interesting because in the previous like of these big parts I did when I invited the drawers, it was almost like the drawers were always looking at drawing the people that were doing stuff in the club. So they, they became very much like almost like a secondary or they were not so much in focus. So I'm also very much curious, like what happens if you put a drawer in the center uh, and maybe, I mean, in this previous event, people were doing on little, like, I don't know what they use, like little notebooks or like, like mm -hmm. this tiny. What if you give them like a two by two meter canvas oh. that everyone sees? Oh, nice. Uh, and you put it in like a big light because like, just like I want the rope people and the kink people to be seen and to influence the room. I want the people doing the drawing or painting. I don't know what word you want to put on it. I want them to like, how can I give them equal space to express themselves? So they don't feel that they're just going there to watch people perform for them in a way. I immediately have a vision about that, about this huge canvas and actually painting with your body, you know, like yeah. rolling around in color and then, you know, <laughs> painting with your body. Nice idea. Yeah. So I think, I think like people who can express themselves somehow in the space and the, where their expression is part of communicating with others and also like being seen and influencing each other's. Yeah. It sounds like a very intense project. Are there people you would call like, as in, you know, as in LARPs? Um, non-player characters and player characters. So some people who kind of create the situation and some who come as guests. Yeah, I mean, I've been, we've been talking too much about this in this little group of collaborators. And I mean, one thing is that um, what we want, we or I, something that we want to like avoid doing is creating a hierarchy of expressions. Mm -hmm. So like if there is comes a non-player character and they are this like amazing ballet dancer and all of a sudden they're moving in a certain way and everyone thinks now I have to move like this to be like good enough and so on. Um, so I mean there might be some people that are like there to be like as catalysts or like as role models or to like inspire other people. But then I want them to do that in a very like simple way. So there shouldn't be a hierarchy like these are the most amazing ones. That's why we bring them there. Then there is a whole other side to it. Just I want to add it quickly because I've talked about it or not. There's this whole kind of with like emotional support and safety and consent and like, like that is more like the structure that this whole thing is running on top of. And that's of course, there will be other people that are like employed by the event. It's so much. It's really, it sounds really nice. Sounds really like a very 
multi-faced event where where so many things are possible. I was thinking it could also be possible that basically everyone comes as, you know, some kind of artist, person or or actor or, you know, part of the piece of art. So like mm. basically what you what you're creating, I can imagine just like a um, an artistic collaboration of people who call themselves artists, of people who don't call themselves artists, um, and create something together. It sounds very tricky to create these base to make it flourish. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think also like calling it art, I think it maybe makes the base harder to, to, to join in a way because yeah something because like art in a way it's like it's something like is this art i think that's a question many people that at least later artists ask themselves like am i good enough am i doing art right now am i participating can i be in there so i think it's almost like it i think it's more like what the way i think i see it's more like these are the practices that i can envision being in this space like contacting pro dancers um tantra people da 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 um and whatever we do together it's already kind of defined as art uh, they don't have to think about if they're doing art or not or if they're artists or not um no what i meant with that is not to put it on a on some kind of higher level or what with calling it art but more like with creating something together mm. so like yeah. that i'm aware that i'm not just a viewer so so for example um i have this project 100 strangers and i meet the person i don't know and i eat with them drink with them talk to them and in the end i draw a portrait if there is a third person around it becomes a spectacle so the talk doesn't become as intense it's just that i have to perform just because someone else is watching so I was wondering, how does one create that with people who come as a participant, who are not in the organizational team, who are not especially invited because you invited them for some certain reason? Yeah, I think for me, I see like it's a three level, a three step process. Mm -hmm. The first process is like the invitation. Um, and that is very much for me what we are doing right now. We are talking about it. And that is kind of outlining so people feel, oh, does this apply to me or not? And it's like we are making almost an invitation in talking in this way now. Then the homepage is another invitation. There will be like many forms of invitation, maybe a video and so on. Um, but then the next thing um, is having a little bit like our workshop in the beginning of the event where everyone gets to try out. It's almost, you know, when you go to a tango class, the first 45 minutes is a class. And if you go to a content info jam, the first 45 minutes is like, the workshop to everyone can feel like, oh, yeah, I can do this. It's mm -hmm. okay. And then the next thing is to have these people that are like role models, non playing characters, or catalysts showing that this is how you do it, and not having them to be like these extraordinary people, having them to that are just very basic in but good at sharing, being present and like sensitive and vulnerable in a way. I think this is the best. I think, yeah. Absolutely. That's really nice. I, I love that. And I think that's uh, very important to create the right atmosphere and to create the right um, feeling so one can really dive into it. I mean, I think what is interesting for me in a way, it's more discussion, who do I, who don't, who do I not want to have there? Yeah. Like, who do I want to exclude from this event? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think there is like some obvious things, like I don't want to have fascist people and racist people. I mean, that is like, but that is more based on my political standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, but then there is also like, I think people who come there must have some kind of experience of active consent. Um, that like, whatever we are doing right now, I need to ensure that the person I'm interacting with wants this in some way. Because one thing I noticed very much from studying theater many at least actors in the school where I, I was I was studying uh, directing and or theater pedagogy and then we had like actors that were studying acting at the same time and many people in these acting classes it's much more important to them what the audience think about this than what do they feel about this so like getting the consent of the audience is important and getting the consent from your co-actor is not very important in a way
Um, and I think this is like, yeah, creating active consent, I think is like having that when you go to this event is like super important. I think that's um, yeah also a very important topic um, in the kink realm anyhow. Um, what I found interesting is that um, Simon, the other guy I talked to about kink, uh, told me that also including someone in the play who is not consensual or not even asked or in it mm. um, is kind of a no-no. And, and this I find also, you know, difficult in a in an event to to manage. Yeah, I mean, that's totally like a challenge in a way, because in a way, by going there, I think that in the invitation being very clear on who is this for, what you might see here mm -hmm. coming here, you might see like violence and rope bondage and you might see needles, and you might see this and this and this. Um, I think helps people to be able to consent to say, OK, I can. I can handle this in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Very nice. If someone would be interested in um, these kind of events, um, would they just reach out to you and contact you? Yeah, we haven't really decided how to kind of invite to the first event. We are hoping that the COVID kind of will be go down enough in end of May so we can kind of make a dress rehearsal of it in the mm -hmm. end of May uh, with maybe 50 people. I don't know. Right now, I don't think it will happen looking at how the COVID statistics looks. But I mean, eventually, I think it will be like a friend of a friend of a friend invitation system. Okay. But you can always befriend me or you can find me on Facebook or somewhere and see like, do we have friends in common? Or maybe you know someone who knows about me and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. I think in a way, like anyone who's really interested in this, I would love to have them as my friend. <laughs> in a way because i can invite them to this event yeah. but i'm not so sure that it will be like a super public invitation in the beginning no because i think the reach that we will like me and the other two people that i'm collaborating with like the reach we will have because one person is a lot in the like, traditional theater world one person is lost in the performing arts and then me being in like bds and kink world and tantra world i think we will reach like a good uh, group of friends of friends of friends mm -hmm. um, without doing it publicly in a way. Yeah. Do you have a number of people you, who should be at this event? I mean, my kind of big role model, who is Felix Rucker, he says usually one person per every one and a half square meters. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this space is like, if you use all the different spaces in this theater, I think we have like a thousand square meters, maybe a bit more. So then we could mm -hmm. be like 800 or something. Wow. Um, I mean, I did it once where we were like 400 people and that worked out well, actually. So I want to have more than 100 at least. Otherwise, I'm not satisfied. <laughs> yeah, After I think, COVID. I think yeah. that's possible. That's possible. Yeah. I can imagine there's so many people I know who would want to go to this um, event. But it's good to know that it is on an um, invitation base and that one needs to know a little bit about consent. Does one also need to know something about the kink scene in general? Does one need to be interested in that too? I mean, I think one must be open to meeting people from the kink scene and maybe interact, maybe to be curious to interact with them. But then I think you can interact from whatever practice you have yourself. So I think I would love to see what happens when like, uh, or like one of my biggest dreams, I can put it out, is to tie a Bhutto dancer. A what dancer? Obuto is this amazing Japanese dance. It is like, like almost, I, I don't know if I can put good words to it, but it's like a celebration of like death in a way. And it's like mm. super slow, it's super experimental. It's like, and like the first practice, I think when you, when you start to practice Buto is to walk across a floor as slow as possible while you feel like you're walking on like a thousand knives or something like that. And you should like find ways to express this in your whole body. And I mean, there is so many like super impressive, super amazing Bhutto dancers. Mm. Yeah, so like tying a Bhutto dancer or having a Bhutto dancer like react to what I'm doing to their body with the ropes um, and like finding a rhythm together would be like the best thing ever. Um, but I think it's the same thing like if there's a contact impro dancer is curious what happened, like what happens if someone ties your hand up consensually, of course, yep. like how does that influence your dance or like how is it to have sex in front of someone drawing you um, or like 
like you should be open to meeting other people in this kind of artistic celebration of sexuality in a way. Wow. I'm super, super deeply impressed by this project. Um, and I'm super excited to hear later on when, you know, we check out the little virus, maybe come along, maybe at some point, if I get yeah. an invitation, who knows? Yeah, um, you do. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Yay! Thank you! <laughs> That's nice to hear. It's a good end of the podcast. <laughs> Wonderful. That's why I did this. No, yes. um, I think we, we talked for quite some time. And usually I end a podcast by a different question. And I thought about because today is International Women's Day, um, whether there is a woman in particular you think about who inspired you or influenced you most in your work? There is many. I mean, a few years. It also depends like how broad I should go. I mean, I think one person that inspires me as a lot is a person called Ruby May. I think she is British, but live been living in Berlin for a long time. Yeah, so she is like, um, because she's like very much like pioneering, like conscious kink and like shamanism in this kind yeah in europe in a way then i mean i think her kind of equivalent but maybe two generations older is a woman called barbara carellas in the us mm -hmm. who is like the partner of annie sprinkles who this this kind of she wrote a book called urban tantra saying that okay you can do tantra without going to like a sacred temple in the deep indian woods you can actually do it urban where you live so oh, she was okay. hosting like a lot of amazing like rituals and ceremonies in new york i would guess in like in the 80s 90s something like this mm. i think them they are like people that really inspires me from this kind of um from what we have talked about right now in a way i'm also thinking if there's like if i go like one level outside that it would be also be like people like esther perel you know um that is like an uh, like relationship coach that talks about like like the relationship between like safety and bravery and desire and safety in a way she's like super clear on point on that yeah there is one more maybe also a person called judith herman who kind of defined post-traumatic stress and i mean i think her relationship to trauma is probably the thing that has inspired me the most in my therapeutic work yeah it seems like you have a lot of great women in your life yeah i thank you so much for your time andy it was a real pleasure and i hope we talk really really soon again thank you for bringing out my enthusiasm yeah so then just have a beautiful afternoon and um, we see each other again soon yeah i'll see you at the saloon hey do hey do Thank you, lovely humans, for listening to this episode of my podcast, Sex and Art. If you want to support this podcast, please don't forget to like and subscribe. And I hope we hear each other soon in the next episode. Have a lovely day.